The fall of 1997 was a very busy time in my life. I was doing a full-time ministerial internship in New Haven, Connecticut, and also finishing seminary on the Upper West Side of New York, and going back and forth between those places several times a week, and also preparing for my final fellowship interview, my ministerial fellowship interview, the interview that would allow me to go forward or not as a clergy person in this tradition. And that was in San Francisco, California, coming up at the end of that fall. So this is my life, back and forth on the Merritt Parkway, back and forth and back and forth several times a week, back and forth. Busy. I was all about making progress. I was all about getting things done. I was a consummate multitasker. I think I must have eaten half my meals behind the wheel of my car while I was driving. This is how I remember myself. I don't actually think I ever ate or attempted to eat a plate of spaghetti while driving, but it came close. Now, this was um, before the age of smartphones. I can only imagine the damage I could have done back then. It was an exciting time in my life. There was a lot going on, and even more, there was a lot going on inside of me. A lot of excitement, a lot of nervousness, a lot of looking forward, a lot of both apprehension and also hopefulness about what was on the horizon for me. There was one day, about 18 years ago, perhaps almost to the day, mid-October, when I was doing the same drive, this time between starting in New York and New Haven, Connecticut, and I was distractedly listening to the radio. I had turned off the sports radio in New York because, just like this past year, the Yankees had been bounced out of the playoffs, which absolutely no one has any sympathy for the pain I've suffered here. (laughs) And I have to tell you, this is the worst thing about New York Yankees fans. We are the most entitled breed walking this earth right now. When you win, you just want to win more. And so even the whining of my fellow Yankees fans was getting to me, so I had to turn off the sports radio. And I think I went to the NPR station, which at that point in the afternoon played music. And I recognized the tune, just a little bit, that they were playing. I'd come to know the larger piece of music as Appalachian Spring by Aaron Copeland. But what I recognized was this. Tis a gift to be simple. Tis a gift to be simple. Tis a mirage to be simple, I thought. But it was pretty, so I stayed and I kept listening. I mean, that day, my friends, I was on my way. I was on my way where I needed to go. So you better get out of my way. On my way to a meeting with my supervising minister at the congregation on my way to a small group that I was leading that evening on my way to important people to do important things because I was an important person on my way. And as the car motored up the steep hill before descending down into the valley from which in which New Haven, Connecticut was located, all of a sudden when it got to the crest, I saw it before me. This beautiful, amazing fall day. And I thought for a second, 
what am I rushing for? And in the next safest place that I could find, I pulled over and I rolled down the windows and I allowed the music to play and I just looked at something that looked so much like this. There was enough time. I got to my meetings. I did my stuff. And the question still stays with me. What the hell does simplicity mean in most of our organized lives? Or our disorganized lives? With all the stuff that we've got going on, with all the stuff that I know so many of you have going on. I mean, tis a gift to be simple. The Shaker community who wrote it, they're just like us, right? Celibate, commune-dwelling farmers. <laughs> they're just like us. Maybe simple is the day when we get our entire house or wherever we live clean, and it's perfect for that day, and then the next day it's back to chaos, and we feel simplicity fail. Maybe it's the day, the moment when we get our email inbox totally cleared out and everything is answered. And though, what do we know? The next day it fills up just as much. Simplicity fail. Maybe it's the day or the moment when we feel we've gotten all our homework done, all our work work done, however you define your work. Until we recognize that the work starts Again, defined in this way, I think we are setting ourselves up for a multiplicity of simplicity fails. But that moment on the hillside there outside New Haven, Connecticut, that was one of the more powerful lessons in my life. And perhaps the first time where I really touched this reality that is becoming more and more clear to me in my life. That in that moment, sitting there. Recognizing there was enough time, that not everything rested upon my shoulders, that my busyness was costing me more than anyone else. None of my busyness changed in an objective way. But I could shift how I looked at how busy I was. See, simplicity is not really a state or not really a place. It doesn't really have to do with inboxes or the state of our house. Simplicity is how we look at the world. Not what we're looking at so much as how we're choosing to look at the reality of our lives. And then that can change how we act in our lives. The problem, I think, is that our multitasking culture, our spaghetti eating behind the wheel culture, our let's do a whole bunch of things at one time culture, has it exactly the wrong way around. We're supposed to do a whole bunch of things. All the things be as efficient, as effective as we can be while feeling one particular way about our lives. As adults, we do this to kids all the time. Oh, you get a gift. You should feel grateful. Something bad happened. You feel sad. Well, actually, that's the curriculum that we're doing here at Youth Spirit this fall. It's based on the movie Inside Out, that amazing uh, Pixar movie from this last summer. 
in which it turns out we're just not wired that way. We can feel a whole bunch of things at the same time. We can have a whole bunch of experiences going on inside of us and still live our lives. This is a healthier way to be able to feel brave, scared, hopeful, confused, loving. I don't think it's up to any of us to figure out our feelings. I don't know if any of you feel you have the pressure to have to do that. That before we act, we have to figure out how we feel. I would not have gotten out of bed this morning if I was waiting to figure out all of my feelings. I think we are more complex than that. There's this beautiful Rumi quote, the ancient Persian, Persian mystic poet. He says, there are a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground thousand ways we can kneel and kiss the ground. I don't think he's talking about kneeling and kissing the ground quickly or kneeling and kissing the ground slowly or kneeling and kissing the ground while we're totally laying on the ground. I don't think he's talking about the state of our bodies whatsoever. I think what he's saying is this, which is the next line of the poem. There are a thousand ways we can kneel and kiss the ground. There are a thousand ways to go home again. There are a thousand ways we can come home to our lives. There are a thousand ways that we can feel and still get in touch with exactly how we're doing. When I was asked on Facebook, actually I guess a bunch of people were asked on Facebook sometime last year to give my six-wood story of faith, it was simply this. Pay attention. Keep on Paying attention. And that second version, keep on, comma, paying attention, are for all those moments when we cannot figure ourselves out. All of those moments when we have a life to live and responsibilities and we're feeling perhaps at war with ourselves and we haven't figured ourselves out, keep on paying attention. Keep on. Don't lose connection. I have a friend who right now is going through a very difficult time of heartbreak. A moment in which there is a lot of loss in her life. A deep grief, one that just can't be papered over. She and I were talking this past week. And... She was doing some of that that I think we all do, the mind kind of clinging to a storyline, the mind looking for a way out. She was talking a lot about what had happened to her in the past. She was talking a lot about kind of what would happen in the future. It's a natural thing. We all do it. But we can get lost there. Or more importantly, we can get stuck there. Why does this keep happening to me, she said. How can it be different in the future? The issue is that wondering about what happened in the past over and over and over again or projecting ourselves into the future over and over and over again doesn't have anything to do with where we are right now. And so my friend, like myself, has some training and background in mindfulness 
and the practice of mindfulness, which is learning, as Mick said at the start of our service, to be here. And so I asked her, what are you noticing right now? What are you noticing right now? And she continued to spin the story. Well, I noticed that, you know, if I think through this a little bit more clearly, this won't happen to me again. I said, no, 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 no. What are you noticing right now? I said, close your eyes. What are you noticing right now? She said, I'm noticing that my throat is tight. Noticing that my chest feels tight. While you're noticing this in your body, how are you feeling? What are the moods or emotions that are present? She said, I feel sad. And I could see her shoulders just like, you know, sometimes it's like we get so tense, our shoulders are like earrings, they're attached to our earlobes. I could see her shoulders drop just a little bit. Lee, our assistant minister here at Wellsprings, talked in her message last week about the power of tears. Because it was like half a second after my friend said, I'm sad, that the tears started to fall. I asked, because this is the way mindful inquiry goes, and what are you aware of now? She said, I'm aware of breathing in and breathing out. I said, when you're aware of breathing, what are you aware of? She said, I start to feel right now actually kind of peaceful. By the way, she was crying the entire time she was saying this. And then she said, her words, beautiful. And I asked, what are you noticing right now? My sadness is not alone. My sadness is not alone. We can feel all kinds of things. We can feel sadness and peace, loneliness and love. We can do the next right thing that's before us. And we don't have to have it all figured out. The challenge for so many of us in our lives comes at that moment when we don't trust the space of our own hearts. That leads us very often to break apart, to fracture our energies, to diminish the power of our own hearts. She was in a complex space. And yet by fully accepting it, it became very simple. She was grieving. That's what she was doing. She contained multitudes. And life wasn't so difficult for that moment. The name of this series is The Watershed. And if you see it on your order of service, that maybe some of you are holding in or near your hands, if you take a look at that, it's a really beautiful image. Uh, Lee and I kind of put that together. She uh, does some design online, I think came up with that. The, the problem, though, as she and I have joked about with each other, is that image right there on the front of your order of service is not a watershed. That's the result of a watershed. <laughs> The watershed, any watershed, sometimes you see it when you're, you know, driving out west on the turnpike, entering the Chesapeake Bay watershed area, and you're on land. (laughs) That's what a watershed is. 
A watershed is a piece of land that connects all the little streams, the little rivers, all the rainwater, all the sources of all the water that comes to it, and then concentrate it and sends it on so it can become something else. A watershed does not crowd anything out. A watershed collects what it is and shares it with this life. That's our lives too. We can learn from the watershed. We're not any different. Through all the seasons of our lives, we're receiving so many inputs, so many feelings. And yet, I don't know if this is our education system, I don't know if it's the message we get from our families, but so often we're at war with our feelings. Feeling that unless we feel one way, we can't have confidence in who we are. That's not how it really is. I think confidence comes, real heartful confidence comes, from making space for what's ever here. Through all the seasons of our lives. And so yes, those shakers, those old, celibate farmers who had no technology like we have technology, they weren't that different from us. Because they had challenges, and they had loss, and they had loneliness, and still, they understood what true simplicity was. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed. When by turning and turning will be our delight. And by turning and turning, we come round right. Simplicity is not the absence of turning. Simplicity is being able to notice the turning. And sometimes yet, if your gut is anything like mine, the churning this turning folks we live in a circulating universe on a planet that is constantly spinning why should it be any different with our own lives why should it be any different from our own hearts today this is my wish for you that you will simply Make space. Simply become the watershed of your own hearts. Simply return back to what is right here and what is right now and not live 10 years ago and not live 10 years from now and not live 10 minutes from the past or 10 minutes into the future. But right here and right now that you will kneel and kiss the ground of your own life. And because of this, you'll find home. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God, in the ever-constant, never-ceasing rhythm of this breath, God, of the ever-constant, never-ceasing turning of this life, of this earth, of this universe, Our job is not to put our foot down. 
Our job is not to stop the movement. The invitation to us is to take our steps with mindfulness, to take our steps with love, and to recognize that in this movement there is rippling forth from the very beginning of time to the very end of time, this moment connected to all others. May we invite ourselves, kneel and kiss the ground of this life. There are a thousand ways to come home. May we be alive and at home today. Amen.